Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Edge of Comfort podcast, where we explore the adventures, perspectives, and philosophies of world travelers. I'm your host, Lee Thornquist, and thank you for listening. Real quick, before I introduce today's guest, if you've listened to past episodes or if you enjoy this one, please write a review on Apple Podcasts, either through the app or iTunes on your computer. I really enjoy reading your feedback, and it also helps new people discover these conversations. If you need a step-by-step guide on how to write a review, go to edgeofcomfort.com forward slash podcast dash review. On today's episode, I talk with Rajiv Nathan, a.k.a. Raj Nation. Raj is an entrepreneur, a startup advisor, yoga teacher, podcaster, rapper, and storyteller. On the infinite pursuit of expression, Raj Nation uses storytelling in its many fashions to make the complex easy to understand. Raj Nation is founder of Startup Hype Man, Raj Nation Yoga, and he's also a hip-hop artist by the same name. He has been featured in Inc., Forbes, Huffington Post, and other media outlets. He's taken the TED stage, and his signature hashtag HamelFlow yoga class frequently sells out. Now, there are a lot of unique areas and topics I wanted to explore with Raj Nation, But I think you'll find this out pretty quickly. What really underlies all of these is storytelling and expression. And for this podcast, we really focused on how this storytelling impacts Raj, along with his yoga practice and classes and other areas of his life. So it is a bit different from past episodes and other guests in terms of we don't really talk about travel too much, but it's still really important conversation and really valuable just for helping out in life and navigating through the journey we're all going through. So some of the things we discuss include how Raj built a profession around advising startups, teaching yoga, podcasting, and rapping, uh, the importance of storytelling in his life and his pursuits, how Raj went from being meh about yoga to loving it and becoming a teacher, hashtag Hamilflow, which is Raj's creation and sort of a hybrid between the Hamilton musical and a yoga class, and also navigating the voices and stories we hear and listen to in our own lives. So let's just get right into it today. If you want to check out Raj Nation online or social media, the best place to find all of his different sites and social accounts is at www.therajnation.com. That's therajnation.com. You can find full show notes and links to the things we reference at edgeofcomfort.com forward slash EOCP24. That's the numbers 24. And you can also watch our conversation in the video on the blog post or on Edge of Comfort's YouTube page. Thank you to Raj Nation for a wonderful conversation. Thank you for listening. And let's go. Good morning. What's all the commotion? Wow. Are banana fish big? Same, same, but different. If I can't scuba, then what's this all been about? 
Welcome to the Edge of Comfort Podcast with your host, Lee Thornquist. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening today. We are here with uh, Rajiv Nathan, a.k.a. Raj Nation. You may, may know him from that if you've listened to his podcast or checked out some of his stuff on his website. Raj, it's great to have you here. Thank you for having me, Lee. It's uh it's funny how this came about, right? Because my name was being referenced a lot on your episode <laughs> with Matt Wilson. Yeah. And then now here we are. Yeah, pretty crazy how that happens. <laughs> yeah. Uh that that was a great episode, by the way. That really enjoyed that and helped me prepare a little bit for uh for some of my questions with Matt as well. So that was cool. Um there's a lot I wanna talk about with you today. You have quite the interesting resume. I think, and uh, definitely more unique than some other people I've talked with. And uh, so I, I guess to start off with, I kind of want to hear about how this this Raj Nation kind of empire you're building has come to be. I saw that you've you graduated DePaul in 2011 here in Chicago, and you know now eight years later, you've built a career around music and podcasting and helping startups tell their story. And... Um, and rapping as well in there too, and some yoga stuff. So, can you help, like explain a little bit more about how you got to be to where you are today since your graduation, or even before that? Yeah, and the journey is definitely still going. It's just this is one 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 dot on that line. But I, so the best way to understand me is that my core belief and the, the reason that I'm pretty sure I'm on this earth is the pursuit of expression. That is what I'm striving towards. And I think I'm on this earth to put expression into the world and bring it out of other people and and other things. So with that in mind, what I have found to be my calling, you know, in the name of expression is storytelling. And everything that I do now and everything that I've ever cared about and most likely in the future, what I will, the stuff I will get involved in are different versions, different modes or mediums, if you will, of storytelling. So where I'm at today is a few different things. Primarily, my focus and my time and my energy is on a company I built called Startup Hype Man, which helps startups not suck at telling their story and building messages that stand out to their customers and stand apart from their competitors. Part of what makes me like do that well is I take a different angle or approach than most other people. Coming back to that theme of expression. Um, I am also a hip hop artist on the side by the name of Raj Nation, as well as a yoga instructor. And so I'm constantly looking at these different ways of telling story. So music, I think that's pretty obvious. That's, you know, most rap is telling stories, at least the ones that resonate. And then on the yoga side, I think what drew me to yoga as a student and then even more as a teacher and how I design my classes is I look at it as through the poses on the mat, what is the story arc being developed? Um, And you'll you'll see if you take one of my classes, you'll you'll experience if you take one of my classes, there's a lot of logic behind what I do or how I, how I structure a class. It's usually not just 
things thrown together that don't make sense. And I will say a lot of times I'm building the class extemporaneously on the spot, seeing what the class needs, but I have a general idea of where they should go. And then as long as I feel they're keeping up, I will fulfill that story. Or if I feel they, maybe they need a break, I'll let that story take a detour and, and have maybe a twist ending, if you will. <laughs> um, so that's really, you know, that's my, my bread and butter. And that's what, that's what, I'm getting out of bed for every day. It's definitely a lot, you know, by no means am I, uh, am I abundant in time? I feel like I'm always <laughs> short of time, but it's a lot of fun. It has a ton of challenges that come with it. Um, you know, entrepreneurship is not an easy game. However, it is highly fulfilling to do these different things that I really, truly love. Yeah. Time management is definitely something that, uh, I would like to talk to you about at some point, maybe not for this podcast for purposes of it, but uh, yeah, I mean, just the amount of things that, like just on your website that you have listed on there, um, the Startup Hype Man and the podcast and down to Monday Night Raj and all these different endeavors that you've been able to start and do, and I'm sure there's been a ton along the way and on the side that maybe you aren't still doing now, but I guess, where did this desire to express yourself and tell stories come from? Like, is there a point in time where you can look back and say, like, you know, I really liked writing as a kid or, you know, what, I guess, in what form did the storytelling really start taking shape for you early on? I think it's always been a part of me. I just didn't realize it until probably, I'd say, four or five years ago. The probably the start of the turning point for me was I believe it was 2012 yeah 2012 when I was first introduced to Simon Sinek's start with why TED talk and I saw that and I was like holy crap this is amazing and it it actually changed how I saw myself and the world and I don't say that like for hyperbole effect you know how people are like oh it was life-changing <laughs> to me it actually was life-changing um and i started to think on you know what is my own why what is my how and if you if you haven't seen it if anyone listening hasn't seen it just google simon Sinek s-i-n-e-k start with why and give it a watch it's, it's definitely worth your 17 18 minutes of time and i started to think about what would this mean for me um and then you know i got to an answer that isn't it wasn't expression and it wasn't storytelling, but it was close. It was somewhere in that ballpark. And then over the year, over the next probably three-ish years, four years, I honed in on that more and I realized that's that's what the heart of this is. It's storytelling in the name of expression. And, I, and part of what helped me come to that conclusion was I looked back to, like, it's funny because earlier today I was working on some tax stuff um, because, it, because it takes a lot of time to figure <laughs> out tech stuff, but also anyways, as part of that, I was going through my Google drive to find a specific document and I stumbled across a spreadsheet I put together. I think it was in 2015. Um, and it was titled ways I use stories in my life. <laughs> and apparently back in 2015, and I had totally forgotten about this, but seeing it, I was like, Oh yeah, I did do that. Back in like 2015, I put together when I had the the nugget in my head, I was like, maybe storytelling is really the stuff that I do a lot of. And I wrote in the spreadsheet everything 
that I was doing at the time that was important to me, but then historically to that point too, going back to when I was a kid, and it all had a component of storytelling to it. So like, for example, I'm a huge, I grew up as a huge pro wrestling fan, WWE or <laughs> WWF at the time, and I'm still a huge pro wrestling fan. And why do I enjoy it? I, I, I honestly don't really watch MMA. Like I don't watch the UFC. It's just straight, it's just brute fighting, which is fine. But I'm not as drawn to it because there's not theater built around it. Whereas wrestling is just live action theater, right? <laughs> the, the, it's a never ending soap opera that has some you know, a certain level of action and violence involved in it. <laughs> but it's literally, it's just a never ending story week after week after week. And I'm drawn to it for the fact that they intentionally design characters. And the point is to connect with the audience. Um, and if we flash forward to today, that's like legitimately what I see I'm doing with Startup Hype Man is, you know, I work with all these different startups and I just kind of view it as like, they're all little, they're all wrestlers, right? Because a wrestler is just a brand. It's a personal brand, essentially. And the goal of the wrestler is to find a way to create an emotional connection with the audience, whether that is cheer me or boo me. The wrestler's goal is to elicit a reaction and a response. And the wrestlers who don't get that reaction, again, whether it's cheering or booing, certain characters are, are designed to be the bad guys and the good guys. But if they do, if they get a flat response, those are the wrestlers who don't make it and they get cut. So in the same way in the startup world, you're going to get quote unquote cut, meaning your company will go out of business if you can't form the right connection with your audience. And what's everyone's driving for? The championship belt, which is getting either getting acquired by a larger company or going public, right? That's that's the championship belt in startup world. So you can see like from a young age, I'm really, I love wrestling. I still love wrestling. And then I'm like, well, that's just what I'm doing now. So it's all, is that picture being painted in a way that makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. And it's some, it's amazing when you start just not even examining your own life, but the whole world as a whole and just seeing like how much storytelling is ingrained in almost everything. If you look at it like at the right angle or look for, look to see the story in it, you know, everything almost has a story in it. Um, whether it's a company or a business or a movie, you know, that's, I don't know, I think storytelling is like ingrained in human DNA in a way. Like there's a reason why you can read a book and, you know, develop this connection with the character and be moved by it and be changed by it, even though it's a fictional world and has no actual place in Earth. But, like, you see something like Harry Potter or Twilight or something that takes massive, massive international form, and it's, it's just a story, but it's so much more. Um, and I forget who who said the quote, but it stuck with me. It said like story, the ones who tell the stories are the people who rule the world. Mm. And that really stuck with me. Cause uh, yeah, cause I just said, and I guess like, has that ever like crossed your mind? Have you ever been doing something where like you haven't been able to create a story out of it or like is everything you, when you look back and try to do now, like if this, if I'm not able to build a story around this, I don't want to be involved in it. Like, I guess, is there a separation between a story and in, in things and, and without? To an extent, I think, you know, I can't obviously 100% of everything I've ever done has not formally aligned with that. But what you'll see, 
you know, for most people, and for a little bit of background, my first company, what we focused on was build, it was, it was a personal brand development company and we would focus on elevator pitches for individuals. And part of that was figuring out what is their why and how do they express that. So I've got, I've done a lot of work in this realm and through my own experience, but then also working with a lot of other people, what I've found is that, you know, that core why and the how it's pretty consistent throughout your life. And the moments that are significant that don't align with that why and that how tend to be the moments where you experience dissonance in your life and you felt out of place or you felt like something just wasn't right. And then you ended up doing something to course correct and get back on track. Or maybe you're still in that dissonance phase and trying to course correct. So, uh, you know, in my own life, I'm, there are, there are, I'm sure I'm certain dozens, if not a hundred instances where I wasn't fully on that path, but then, you know, I probably did something to get back in line with it. And now, you know, now that I have a bearing over that and I'm aware of it, what I'm able to do, I mean, at least to the best of my ability, when you have, I guess all things equal, which all things are not equal. So you got to factor in like making money, respecting others, um, societal pressures, et cetera. Right. There's, there's always some degree of that. Yeah. Um, but to the best of my ability now, because I'm aware of the why and the how for myself, I do my best to make decisions from that place as opposed to, you know, Oh, that looks cool. Maybe I should try that. Or as opposed to that'll impress someone, maybe I should do that. Um, and I'm not a saint. I'm sure I, mean, I definitely made decisions. Cause I'm like, Oh, this will look good. I should probably do that. Uh, cause it'll help with credibility or something like that. But you know, like when I look at, if we take yoga teaching, when I look at what's my angle there or what's, you know, how do I approach a class or what's my differentiator? It's a few things. It's that, well, one in the yoga world, a a person of Indian descent, ironically, is pretty rare. <laughs> uh, so that's one. Two is a male teacher is also rare, and a heterosexual male teacher is rare. So I've got like three like rarities combined in one here. But so I have I have some I have some like in a way like an edge over the general population of yoga teachers in that sense. But, but knowing that I'm built on expression or I'm built on storytelling in the ultimate pursuit and name of expression makes it really easy to write my bio as a yoga teacher. Um, it makes, which is makes it easier than for the student to understand what they're going to get out of me in a class. It also naturally drives the types of classes that I like to teach and and decide to create. Okay, so I do I do want to talk about yoga definitely. Um, but one more question before we do get into that a bit is, so like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like your why is kind of like your northern star, like kind of your guiding light and the basis of if you're going to go into something, you kind of use that why to decide whether or not it's worth pursuing. Is that kind of yeah. 
That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Okay. So how did you help others when you were doing this initial pitches, the elevator pitches with people? How did you help them kind of find out their own why? Like what steps would you go through if they've never really thought about that or never really examined their life to a point where they're like, oh, you know, this is actually makes sense and this is what I truly value and why I do things. Like how would you help individuals go about that? What we focused on, so my business partner at the time and I, what we focused on was deep question and answers, a deep question and answer exercise with like active listening. So we, you know, we did it for a lot of, of people over the course of a few years. And over time, we just got better at asking those questions to get to the answer a little bit quicker. Um, and we, then we figured out like what are some of the best questions we can ask pretty much every time. So initially, you know, we would do these workshops where at one point it was like, hey, we're going to cap this at five people. We're going to charge more, but every person's going to get like a dedicated 30 to 45 minutes. And those worked really well. But then from doing that, we were able to be like, okay, we've gotten better at knowing what questions to ask. So now we can do more people, charge a little bit less, and actually just give general prompts and not be the active. Like we can we can partner them up instead and then pop in on conversations and help facilitate instead of having to lead the entire thing. So for example, certain questions that are really valuable are – one is, what is an experience from high school or college that every time you think about it, it makes you smile? And who was involved with that and why, you know, why does that memory come up above all else? And the key is if you're going to answer a question like that, you can't answer it saying like, band was fun, right? <laughs> you have to actually like, like, what we would tell people to do was respond to the question by telling a story. So like, put me in the moment. Tell me like who's involved. Tell me why like the band director was so excited, or 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 why you the people you were playing with were important in this, right? Tell it. Explain explain what really happened at that point. Another question that we found to be really good was, um, it's kind of interesting, or it's what do you want to be remembered for? But oftentimes we'd phrase it as like. What would you want your eulogy to say about you? So it's kind of weird to think about a death question like that when you feature pace and it's interesting. Um, so across a lot of these questions, and there are more, but I haven't done the I haven't done it in a little while because that company we shut down a few years ago. So it's just like it's it's escaping me at this point. Uh, I'm sure I have the file. I definitely have the files saved somewhere. But what you'd find is that across these responses, consistencies start to come about. Right. It might be banned and it might be what you want your eulogy to be. And it might be um, something about your biggest accomplishment thus far in life and where you find common threads through these responses, even though they're wildly different scenarios, is the reason behind the action taken or the reason behind the response. And that's the that's that rabbit hole that we want to chase down and get to the core and the heart of that. Okay. So is that pretty difficult to do if someone like if someone's sitting at home and's like, you know, I'm in a place right now where I don't quite know what my why is or like what's truly most meaningful to me and 
I'm trying to try to find that. Like, is that pretty difficult to do on your own? Do you think? Or would you recommend maybe like partnering up with another friend who's in a similar spot? Like, I guess maybe some actionable steps to take for the people listening at home. It is immensely difficult to do on your own. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I highly recommend you partner up with someone, but it has to be someone who you feel comfortable sharing personal information with and being vulnerable. So you may have close friends, but when push comes to shove, you don't tell that person certain things about yourself. It can't be that person. (laughs) Uh, It probably shouldn't be your parent or your sibling either. So the interesting thing that we found in those workshops that we would do is we'd pair up strangers who had never (laughs) met before and that's almost easier <laughs> because there's nothing on, there's nothing at stake, right? There's no yeah. risk involved. There's no, oh, I'm going to reveal myself to someone who then will have some type of like edge over me or something, <laughs> you know? Uh, and the, the part of that was, you know, we'd have people at the end of the workshops say how this person who they just met 90 minutes ago knows them better now than every other person in their life. <laughs> so... Obviously, if there's not a workshop set up for you, it's hard to just walk up to a stranger and do something like that. So I would say look towards maybe like people who you know and you can actually say like legitimately you're comfortable sharing everything with um, or look to like your professional network who's someone who is a, you know, they're they're more of like a, a weak tie. Like you know each other. You'd like to get to know each other better and you'd have to like ladder up to that being an actual conversation you could have. Okay. Or hell, talk to a, I don't know, a career counselor or a therapist. (laughs) (laughs) That is their profession. Yeah. Um, All right. So, so now take me into like, so this storytelling into yoga, you mentioned kind of the three main like outliers of you, of who you are and why, like in the yoga community, you're pretty different just from the start. And I mean, looking through some of the actual classes that you do hold, those all look pretty unique. Like, I mean, I've done a few yoga classes just, and it felt very traditional. Like, um, I don't know the different styles exactly, but you know, it felt very peaceful and like mindful and a little bit like yogic in a way. And, you know, namaste at the end and very like, even though it's a workout, it's still like very peaceful and, um, meditative in a way. Mm -hmm. And so I see some of yours, you've got like a costume on you've, I mean, you talk about, having people tell stories about these poses they're in like can you tell me a little bit about I guess just your background with yoga and how you made this into becoming a teacher and taking this storytelling shape with it yeah yeah so I started practicing yoga as of this recording we're coming up on my I believe my five-year yoga-versary uh so 2015 March is when I started practicing. When I say started practicing, what I mean is up to that point in my life, I had probably done maybe 15 to 20 classes total. And it never really resonated with me. I was like, yeah, I should do yoga. I should do yoga. I should like this. It should be something I should start doing. And I'd take a class. Maybe I'd, I don't know, maybe take like two over the course of like three weeks. And I'd be like, eh, I'd rather go lift weights instead. And I then... So the reason that I decided to say, okay, let me give this another shot was 
It was March of 2015, and I had uh, went out too hard Saturday night, (laughs) which led to very hungover Sunday, (laughs) which led me to, I'm going to make Monday a treat yourself, feel better Monday. (laughs) And if anyone's wondering, well, how did you do that when you had work the next day? For timeline purposes, I had left my job at the end of 2014, and I was in the early stages of full-time entrepreneurship. Um, so I was in like an in-between. I called it fun employed. Where it was like I, I willingly left my job to figure out what I wanted to do next. I was flirting with doing entrepreneurship full-time. But I had a relatively open schedule to be able to pull this off. And so it was Treat Yourself Monday. And I, you know, the previous Sunday evening when I was mapping this out, I was like, all right, if I have a day to myself. And obviously like I can't like travel the world. What do I want to do? And I was like, you know what? I think I'd really like to start the day doing yoga. So I went to a studio here in Chicago in the West Loop where I lived um, called Bare Feet Power Yoga. The only reason I went to them, besides the fact that they were close, but there were actually, there was two studios that were closer, was because I think one year prior, when I was walking down the street one night, I ran into someone I knew from college who was with his girlfriend who was like, Oh yeah. He was like, Hey, this is Allie. She teaches yoga, you know, down the street from here. You should check it out sometime. And I was like, yeah, I think I'd like to do that. Now it took a full year after that to actually (laughs) go into the studio. But I lit, I legitimately like after that encounter, I think I messaged him on Facebook and was like, Hey, send me the details. But then I didn't do anything for a year. And then this treat yourself Eve comes about and I went back to my Facebook messages and I was like, Okay, Allie, Bare Feet Power Yoga, I look it up. She's teaching the 6.30 a.m. class. So I was like, all right, I'll just go take that one. So I take that class, and kind of the joke from there is like they just couldn't get rid of me after that. <laughs> um, so what I found there that I just I don't think I'd found otherwise was it was it worked for me because it was it felt like a workout, and it was hot yoga as well, which I hadn't really done before, and that felt good to me. And I just, I don't know, I felt really good when I came out of it. And I felt the teacher, Allie, I felt she taught from a place of equivalence as opposed to superiority. And I didn't feel stupid for not knowing what a certain pose was or how to do it properly, which is where I think, you know, I don't think any teacher is intentionally trying to sound like they're coming from a place of superiority. I think it's kind of embedded into yogic minds that, you know, we're trying to create balance for everyone and see everyone as equal. But I think accidentally sometimes you can speak from that place of superiority. So what I found in Allie's class was like, even though she was the teacher, it was, it felt like we were on the same level. And it also was a very direct teaching. Prior to that point, a lot of the classes I took were it felt like the teacher was lightly suggesting I could maybe do something if I really felt like it. <laughs> and this was like, no, warrior is like warrior two, reverse, <laughs> chaturanga, down to, you know, like it was like very direct to the point. And I, that, so that worked for me. So I started coming pretty much every day after that. A few months into my practice, the studio announced they were going to host their first ever teacher training the following spring or the following summer. And I was like, yeah, I think I would really enjoy 
doing, I think I would really enjoy teaching this and I think I could do a, you know, a halfway decent job at it. In this time, what I was figuring out was, you know why I think I really like this? And, and it's a vinyasa style class as opposed to like Hatha or Ashtanga. What does that uh, mean exactly? I've, yeah, I don't know what that means. So vinyasa, <laughs> I mean, literally, I, I'm blanking right now. Literally, it means like um, to arrange in a special way. That's like the literal translation. But when you talk about a vinyasa class, you're talking about a flow based class where things are like there's sequences put together. Um, you have Hatha yoga, which is generally slower style. And it's kind of like a handful of poses that are just like they don't have much connection to one another, really. There's not like transitions to get to one. It's like we're going to do chair pose for three minutes and then we're going to do warrior two for the next two minutes. So there's not much of like a there's not much of a connection point between the very, poses. Very fragmented. Yeah. OK. And, and they may do connection in the sense of like, well, if you work this part of your body, it makes sense to work the next part. But you're not linking things together, really. It's like one pose and the next and the next. So vinyasa worked for me and i was like i think why i like this i think why this makes sense to me is because there's a very clear story arc here in that we have an introduction where you're like warming up and then you build up some body heat and you maybe depending on the class maybe there's like a peak pose you're building towards and then it starts to scale down from there and you ultimately fall asleep by the end <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it, it just it, it made logical sense to me, and that's why I was really drawn to it. And I and you know it, after doing it for a few months, I think that's what I realized. That's why I'm drawn to it because it had that logical progression to it. And I was like, I was a, like a yoga geek at this time in the sense that I would I have a I had a Google Drive document. <laughs> it was just a running document called Yoga Notes, where things I would pick up in class, I would go to that document and jot them down. You know, if the teacher said something like, in warrior one, align your back foot more towards the top corner of your mat instead of out wide, I would go back to the document and I would jot that down. Or I would be like, uh, ninja pose in Sanskrit is skandasana, right? And so I was just learning like the pose names really well just from documenting things. Or things like when we do this pose typically then this type of pose makes sense afterwards so i was just i was just totally geeking out on this hardcore so the opportunity to teach came about and i signed up for that training and then that's sort of where the teaching portion began and took off from there super long description there but this <laughs> gives you a background into how i got started in yoga and yoga teaching yeah so what was that process like to become a qualified teacher like are there different levels of teachers and like is it a certain number of hours do you have to prove that you can do this pose or this pose like what's yeah, yeah. it's not about proving you can do a pose so there's a formal certification process like the introductory level is you do 200 hours of training so bare feet power yoga the studio i mentioned they, you know, they hosted a training. So it was over the course of like six weeks. Um, so you have like a 10 day sprint and then it was every weekend after that. That's what equaled the 200 hours. And that's a combination of like discussion, textbook learning, and then actually live teaching in front of classes to practice what you've just learned. Um, 
their their requirement is that you can teach a full class as well as part of that teach without fail um, six sun salutations which if you're familiar with that or if you're not familiar with that you can look it up but essentially it's one of the foundational sequences of a vinyasa style yoga class so that was the qualification process for it or certification process for that and then funny enough during the training i actually pretty much broke my knee playing basketball on one of my days <laughs> off so i did the second half of training with a giant ass uh like immobilizer on my leg from ankle to hip. <laughs> You're still able to do poses, and I, so I just figured out modifications, right? So I did things literally from like a, the first week. I did things from a seated position, and I was just figuring out like, okay, if chair poses this standing up, what would be a potential iteration of that if I'm sitting down? <laughs> um, and it it actually worked pretty well. And then like the next week, I had a little bit more mobility in my leg. So I was doing things from like one knee um, instead of sitting down and that, you know, that again, that had its own thing. And then I got to a point where I could stand, but I was still in the immobilizer and I was literally doing like one legged. I do like chair pose and have like one leg floating up or I'd be like <laughs> down dog and one leg would be kicked back. So you just figure out this stuff and you, it was pretty as much as it sucked. It was interesting to test my body in that way. And I had more of an appreciation and understanding of how someone who might have a similar injury could modify their practice you know, for the future. Yeah. Kind of gave you a new look at how to do things. It's actually kind of cool. Well, not cool that your knee was busted, but <laughs> a unique opportunity. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so like during that training, how was there any sort of like philosophy or like understanding of the history of yoga? Like, I guess to kind of go off that question as well, like I, like the history of yoga is seems like a very Eastern thing. And I don't know if the transition over to the West has kept as much of that spiritual and like philosophy type style of some of that yoga. I mean, is that something you do see a lot around here that you practice yourself or like, have, do you take influences from other cultures or styles of yoga that you try to implement into your own teachings? In the training, there was coverage on, the history, the philosophy, etc. Now, I will not try to at all say I'm an expert in yoga philosophy or history or anything like that. I know bits and pieces, uh, but I'm not the person who knows all that, you know, super well. I don't think you need to know that to be able to teach. I think it can definitely make you a stronger teacher, but to be able to get a class from start to finish, you don't need to know all that. Um, but it's super important to at least have a you know, a baseline knowledge that it exists and sort and a few things around it. Now, in the West, yes, we have bastardized it a lot with different studios that open up um, with, you know, it's 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 sort of like the with the workout culture, I guess. And I don't even mean to with like the Lululemon culture. And I'm not even like sandbagging Lululemon because they're they're a company that makes clothes for profit, which I, as a businessman, I 100 percent respect. <laughs> Um, but there's seems, you know, there's been more put on like physical appearance than there is on like actual, like spiritual growth. Right. Um, I think why it's, why that's okay that not every studio is focusing on that is because you're going to have your audience, right? You're going to have your people who are naturally drawn to the spiritual side versus people who are naturally drawn to the physical side, the workout side. And it's okay for everyone to have their own audience. 
what, to be honest, what drew me, part of what drew me into doing yoga, you know, once I got into it, like I mentioned after that treat yourself day was the fact that it was presented to me as a workout and not this spiritual experience. And that's what I think has worked for me to get me to a spiritual experience. Over the last few years, I've, I've looked at my own spirituality in a different way and become more curious about that and incorporated a certain scent of it or hint of it into my teachings. But it's because the, for me, the access point, the entry point was physical through the physical and doing enough of that. I got to the mental. If it were the other way around, I think I would have given up on day two. Yeah. So I think it's okay and it's fine that, and again, there are studios that really harp on the, um, on the spiritual aspect of it and you go in and maybe sort of the experience you were saying you've had in classes, maybe it's more like that and people need that, right? A lot of people need that. Other people are looking for a workout and I think that's fine. And in my experience, it being presented in that fashion is what got me to the spiritual side of things. I, I, you know, it was, it was the gateway drug, if you will. Yeah. That's interesting. It, just how like fragile that could have been, you know, if it was, a, if that, if uh, her name was Allie, you said if that teacher yeah. was at another class that focused more on the spiritual, how that could have just totally not clicked. But, um, so one of the things you're doing now as a teacher and I'm very curious to learn about is something called Hamel flow. And from my understanding, it's a Hamilton, that musical kind of based on that. And you incorporate songs and stuff into your yoga class. Just can you explain what this is and tell me about Hamel flow and what, because yes. <laughs> this is so, the most unique thing I've heard. <laughs> um, part of my love for storytelling as well as music is the Hamilton musical to me. Like I'm, I'm the super, I'm the case for the super fan because with the Hamilton musical, they have like, there are three audiences that will see Hamilton audience. Number one is those who like musicals. Audience. Number two is those who like us history and audience. Number three is those who like hip hop. And I like, dare I say, love all three of those things. <laughs> so for me, the Hamilton musical, like, you know, I'm like sprouting wood from that. thing. <laughs> so, it's it's amazing, right? And I was drawn to it the first time I heard about it. You know, before I even saw the play, I had listened to the soundtrack, you know, probably a thousand times. And I saw a cool opportunity to incorporate yoga into this because I could see that I wasn't the only one who enjoyed Hamilton. And I thought, you know, let's see if this can work. This will hit with the yoga community. And I think. 26 end of 2016 was when I did my first one. So it's called Hamel flow. It is a class that is, it's about two hours long where we sing along to the music while we do yoga <laughs> and the poses are sequenced to the music, to the lyrics and the songs. And there are parts of it where it's not even yoga at all. It's literally, it's like dancing to the music, right? So it is like this, like, <laughs> It's like it's part yoga, part musical, part like, I don't know, like adult and even in some cases, teenagers and children who show up like uh, playtime, like <laughs> like daycare or playtime, you know, 
um, it is a, just totally an experience to just take part in something that you love if you're a fan of this musical. And, you know, I mean, I encourage people to like show up in cosplay. I decorate the studio with Hamilton, you know, memorabilia and things of that nature. And, you know, I'm at the front of the room while teaching the class. Like I'm belting out these lyrics too. So like by the time, <laughs> the, by the time the class is done, I've got like not much of a voice left. And my adrenaline has been so high for those two hours. And the way I work is like, once I do something that's adrenaline building, like I crash right after it's done. So like I'm in desperate need of a nap 30 minutes after it's over, <laughs> but it's a really fun experience. And so the first one that I did was in December of 2016, I believe, you know, and I put it out there and this was at bare feet power yoga and the class sold out. Wow. I was like, oh shit. This is, people like this. <laughs> and so then I did it a few, you know, over the next couple of years, I did it a few more times and I was convinced that it would die down. Okay. Like, I actually like in 2017, I think towards the end of 2017, I was, I even put like in the description, I was like, it's back for one last time. <laughs> and, and, and one last time is a song in the Hamilton musical. So it was like a play on words as well. Because in my mind, I was like, oh, people aren't going to want to do this anymore. And then more people showed up <laughs> and they were like, when's the next one? And people have, people have come back multiple times to do the class. So I, th I think what I realized was that, you know what, it's actually gaining more popularity because more people have been able to actually, because tickets were so hard to get for so long. Now, more people have been able to actually see it. And therefore, it's only growing in popularity. And I've expanded it to another studio in Chicago called Bottom Line Yoga, which is also where I teach at every week. And it's been really cool to see this thing grow. I've even improved the class over time. Originally, it was only 90 minutes. Then I made it two hours so I could add because the tough one of the toughest things was figuring out which songs to cut. It's a two hour and 47 minute musical. So you've got to chop some songs, which means something that someone loves is not going to make it right <laughs> on this set list, if you will. Yeah. So originally it was 90. And I was like, you know what? I can make it two hours and two hours actually has made it a better experience because it's it's less physically intense because there are more like I'll call them like break songs where you're still doing something, but you're not like flowing as much because the song is slower and more sing-songy. So that's, yeah, that's what's been sort of like my baby. It's called, you know, it's hashtag Hamilflow is the name and I align the class. So if you're familiar with the musical, you have the two characters are Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton. They're the two main characters and they're the character foils throughout the plot. So I tell them when you walk in, I put a line of tape down the middle of the room and I say, if you're on this side of the room, you're Hamilton. If you're on this side of the room, you're Burr. And during this class, there will be Burr-specific and Hamilton-specific poses. <laughs> Knowing what you know about their characters in the play, choose wisely. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> right? So it just makes it for like a really fun experience. And I, I cannot tell you how fun it is for me to, to teach that when I do. Yeah. So do you get people who have never seen the musical or don't know the words who show up to that? <laughs> like if I've I had one person who showed up who had never seen it and wasn't familiar purely because she bought a ticket for her friend's birthday uh, and that was okay. her birthday gift. And she was showing up in support of her friend, but even she had a ton of fun. Um, and she's like, well, I didn't know what was going on, but it was, it was super fun to see people singing and dancing and doing yoga. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and I'll get people who know the songs. I mean, I know it word for word, but you know, it's kind of like karaoke, right? You like, you sing along and you say what you know. And, and I'm always like, keep in mind, at the beginning of class, I'm like, keep in mind, 
singing, you know, I'll do like a lyric for you here. I'll be like, so let's say you're holding chair pose and you're rapping Lafayette's part in Guns and Ships and you're like, I'm taking this horse by the reins, making red coats red with blood stains, Lafayette, and I'm never gonna stop until I make a drop and burn a weapon, scatter the remains. I'm Lafayette. Watch me engage and I'm escaping, I'm enraging them, I'm Lafayette. I go to France for more funds, Lafayette, I come back with more guns. I'm like, so that's a full exhale. <laughs> and if I'm asking you to like, you know, flow through a pose or hold a pose, you might black out if you're exhaling that whole time. So I'm like, so just like pace yourself appropriately and maybe and like try and sneak an inhale in or see if you can inhale while saying some words so that you're not just always exhaling. <laughs> oh my gosh. So do you you pretty much know the words to all the songs? And I mean, that rap alone, just, I can't even imagine how long that took you just to nail down. <laughs> like <laughs> That rap actually, I think, has the Guinness World Record for most. No, actually, no, it doesn't have a world record. At least in a play, it does. Not in all of rap, but at least in a play, I think it's like most words fit into a whatever time frame. <laughs> uh, yeah, it took me a little bit to catch that. But yeah, I've got probably in the entire play, probably like 92% of the lyrics down. For what I, I mean, even though I've heard of the songs a million times, there's always just a, those certain songs that you just like never know what they're saying and haven't looked it up enough to or, or to remember. You haven't looked it up enough times to remember what they're saying. Yeah. So what's how, like how many of these have you run and are you only running them on special occasions now? Like, hey, this Hamilton class on this date and this date, it's not like a weekly thing. Yeah, it's not a weekly thing. It is like a special event class that I'll do a few times a year. So like right now when we're recording this, I don't have the next date set, but I'll probably do a couple spring ones and then I'll do some fall ones. Um, you know, if we talk about being able to market yoga classes effectively, I got to look at where can I hedge my bets to get best exposure for it. So like, for example, assuming they want me back, the last two summers and presumably this summer for the month of July, I teach the huge Millennium Park yoga classes on Saturday mornings. So like you maybe you've seen it or heard about it, but Saturday mornings on the big lawn in Millennium Park, uh, there's yoga classes every Saturday morning from like June through August, I believe. So I I have the spot for July and 200 to 300 people show up for those classes. So like last year, and excuse me, the last two years, I strategically aligned a Hamel flow for the months after that because I could promote to 300 people four <laughs> weeks in a row. I've got this Hamel flow class coming up. So that's where I look. That's how I look at like when do I want to schedule it and how do I strategically align it with ways I can broadcast the message to the masses. Um, what I'm looking into now is can I take this on a national tour? You know, the, the play itself is on tour. <laughs> can I take the class on tour? I definitely think I can. I just got to put the right strategy behind it. Yeah. What, like, where are you at right now with that? Like, what's kind of keeping you from, like, what needs to happen in order for a national tour to happen? And also, like, have you had any legal issues with using the Hamilton name or their songs? And if you're profiting off of this, or are you worried about that? No legal issues. Perhaps this podcast episode will be the thing that shuts me down forever. We'll see. I not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, no, I'm actually looking at, can I trademark the name Hamel flow and potentially uh, like trademark around the style or, or basically create ownership of around the yoga class in some way. Um, 
maybe I get blocked because it's borrowing from something else. But hey, you know what? I don't know. Weird Al creates parody albums all the time. So True. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's got to be somewhere around this. <laughs> really, the thing that's standing in my way is I need to talk to some of the people who have mentored me to this point and who I look up to in the yoga community about what does it take to guest teach at a studio, you know, in another state. And then I got to figure out the the promotion around that because I, can, I have full confidence if I was doing yoga as a full-time thing, I'd have already executed this long ago. Like I mentioned at the start, uh, most of my time is allocated towards startup hype man. So I am not able to put more time into yoga, which is fine for the most part. For the Hamble Flow stuff, I got to figure out a way to create some more time to, to plan it out. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so um, one, one or two more questions on yoga, and then I know we're kind of coming up on our time here, so ask a few more quick questions as well. But, um, like, are there any misconceptions or, like, um, oh, what's the word? Um yeah, I guess. Are there any like misconce- misconceptions around yoga that you'd like to put to rest? Or like, I feel like when yoga has kind of gained popularity in the West, at least there's been a little bit of a stigma, at least like t- on men, like, oh, I'm not going to do yoga. Like, but that's, I feel like that's going away a little bit, if not pretty much gong. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, do you hear a lot of people like, oh, I don't want to do yoga because it's this or like, you know, like what is yoga not? Well, to the man, the man stigma, what's funny with the Hamel flow classes is, is that across doing this, however many times, maybe seven, eight times now, I think there's been a total of one man who has attended <laughs> aside from, no, two, sorry, two, two men who have attended aside from me across that whole lot of the seven or eight classes. So, uh, which apparently men don't like Hamilton as much as women or men aren't doing yoga as much as women. But, um, the thing that always, that I would caution people from having this mindset around is people who want to try yoga or who have not yet tried yoga and dismiss it saying, I'm not flexible, therefore I can't do yoga. The point is to become more mobile (laughs) and flexible within your own body once you start. Uh, I was insanely inflexible. Like when I first did yoga, like not – the, not the treat yourself day, but like rewind several years before that in college, I could not believe that downward facing dog was a rest pose. <laughs> I, I, I was like sweating just from doing that. So it's a journey, right? Everyone has a starting point, but you keep showing up and you will find your way on that journey and you find a lot of joy in the journey, in the process it becomes a discipline if you take to it and to say i can't do that because i am not flexible is to shoot a basketball when you're 5 years old and you miss and you say there i can never play basketball again i can never touch a basketball again because <laughs> because i'm not good at it it's it's saying the same thing okay uh, i like that yeah um okay and so back to storytelling a little bit um we didn't get too much chance to talk about your music, um, unfortunately, but one of the songs that I listened to that I really liked was Voices. I know it came out probably a year or two ago. Um, so can you tell me just about that song and the creation of it and kind of like 
the voices that we do hear from the outside and inside and kind of how we go about those and how those influence us. Yeah, maybe play it as like the outro Ooh, to this episode. Look at that. Maybe. I will do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's a song that I wrote when I was at one of my like lowest low points as an entrepreneur. Um, I mean, it took, I started writing it at the low point and then I probably, probably took a couple months to actually finish writing it. But, um, it was, I wrote it towards the end of 2016 when we were shutting down that first business I mentioned and I didn't know what was next because I had invested I mean, invest in like a giant monetary sense, but like I had invested all of myself, my personality, my, my own brand into this, that company that was called idea lemon and it didn't work out. And I was just so worried that I would be seen as a failure, um, that that was my shot at entrepreneurship and I missed. And I also was like at the point where like, okay, well, do I have to go get a job now? Because I've been doing this for like two straight years and haven't made a lot of money. Um, Startup Hype Man ended up being born out of that, but the song was about the, the voices that are in your head when things aren't going as you expect them to, to go. So the you know, the lyrics of the song, like the first verse is like, look, only on some real shit. It's been a long time since you had a real chick. And since then, your whole life's been reeling. Something's fishy. You need to be reeled in. And that's like about how, you know, if you like, I think at that point, my previous girlfriend was like two years past at that point. And you start thinking about like, well, my business isn't working. I'm, I'm more lonely. Is it like, am I, uh, did I screw things up back then? Right. Um, should I be focusing more of my efforts on dating than less on my career? Those are the things that come up. So those are the things I talk about in the song. And then I also go into like, I think that the interesting thing about the song that you may not catch from a one time listen through is that it is, it is about the voices that are in your head, but also the voices you hear from others and trying to sift through which one is your voice and which one is the outside voices. So in the second verse, I, you know, in a series of lyrics, I say, um, you know, I tried looking to the stars, even astrophysics can't figure out my Milky Way. I'm dipping big and thinking past sink or swim. If this is the Olympics, then I finish last. If anything, I shiver when I kick and splash, I'm getting lapped. There's a whole lot of wordplay in that that you can dissect another time. But then the next part is um, kick and splash, I'm getting lapped. Then I gasp, and when I catch the voices saying, pick a path, the ticking clock officiates the grin when every minute pass. And what I'm saying there is you start to hear that the outside voice, like your parents or whoever else saying, you really need to pick something and stick with it. You really need to just you know be stable. Uh, and then the ticking clock officiates your group. So like your smile is dependent on how much time you feel you have left to accomplish what you want to accomplish. Um, the ticking clock officiate the group and every minute passed. Then I gasped when I, or I don't know what comes next. I'm, I'm blanking on it now, but then it goes into um, talking about how like uh, you're pissing everything away. This isn't what you pictured, man. Could have been the bigger man. Make consistent figures. And if you'd settled down, 
at least you'd have your dinner planned. <laughs> right. And those are the things that you think about. Not only because people outside are telling you like, hey, like, you know, like you left a good job. What were you thinking? Why don't you just make it easier on yourself? Why don't you get a good paying job salary? And and then from yourself as an entrepreneur, you're like, maybe that is the more attractive route because then I at least know what I'm eating for dinner tomorrow. Right. And that's so that's really what that song is encompassing is the competing thoughts you have in your head. Which as an entrepreneur, even when things are going well, you have competing thoughts, but particularly like in that case, when I was at my lowest point mentally, that's what was bubbling up for me. And the song was a good outlet to convey that. And, you know, it, the song sort of concludes then with like how you, you stay, you stay stubborn and figure out a way to make it work. So it's like, um, there's a part uh, towards the end. It's like, I, I warp the voice so it's like, when are you going to get a real job? In a, you know, they, so they say, when are you going to get a real job in a dismissive ask? I know my nose is brown, but I'll be damned if I'll be kissing ass. Um, too stubborn, sticking to a different clan, sick of answering these fucking questions from the sycophants, uh, yada, yada. And then it's like, um, tisk tisk. you wanted to be dealt this hand, but one day your handout will be a fist of cash. So it's like a dual wordplay there, like a handout, meaning like you're actually putting your handout to someone else and you've got a wad of cash in your hand. <laughs> so it's like, you know, for the entrepreneur mind, it's like as bad as things get, those who survive it, they they rely on their own stubbornness to do something else because they're just so committed to a vision or a dream. And then and they start to figure out how do I make it work? Damn. And two years later... I'm on year five of entrepreneurship now, business number two. And it's not perfect, but it's getting there. Not not to perfect, but it's 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 on the right path. Glad to hear, man. That's yeah, that's the struggle, but hope it's worth it and you know, staying true to what's important to you. I think that's uh that's hard to do for sure. So major uh Major props to that and uh, definitely an inspiration for myself and many other people out there. So thank you for being open and sharing that story with us and uh, and uh, vulnerability. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Cool. Um, well, I know we're right here at the end of our time. Um, is there anything that we have not talked about or haven't discussed? I mean, there's a ton of other questions I have for you. We'll have to grab coffee sometime in Chicago and chat a bit more or do a second episode of the podcast. But um, yeah, is there anything we haven't discussed or talked about that you want to leave our listeners with? If you want to find me or come to one of my classes, you can go to Raj Nation, R-A-J Nation yoga.com. I have my schedule there. And anytime I do a Hamel flow, I'll post it there too. Um, but I teach at Bare Feet Power Yoga and Bottom Line Yoga in Chicago in the West Loop and the Loop respectively. Uh, if you want to learn more about my startup stuff, the website is startuphypeman.com. I also have a podcast called Startup Hype Man, the podcast, which is interviews with founders on how do they build their businesses. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play if you just search Startup Hype Man. If you want to hear that song, maybe you'll play it as the outro. I'll but, play it as uh, the outro. Stick around for it, people. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to hear that or uh, my other, you know, the rest of my catalog, I actually released my own album called Hamel Flow, which was an album of covers and remixes from the musical. And... That is all at rajnation.bandcamp.com. And if all of that was too much to remember, <laughs> then go to www.therajnation.com 
where it's just a single page website where I have a link to each of these separate entities. Perfect. And I'll link all that in the show notes as well for you people. So check that out. And uh, yeah. And are you on Instagram, Twitter, all the social media? Oh, yeah. I forgot the socials, right? Yeah. So <laughs> at, at Raj Nation on all the socials and then at Startup Hype Man. Uh, the Raj Nation one is more like general life and yoga stuff. Rarely business stuff is there. All the business stuff for Startup Hype Man is at the at Startup Hype Man handle. And yeah, reach out. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm really active on LinkedIn. Um, find me there. And, you know, let me know if this was at all valuable to you. Sweet. All right. Raj Nation, everyone. Thank you so much, man. Really appreciate it. And uh, Appreciate it. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll have to link up again. So thank you for everything. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. To the edge of comfort. <laughs> the voicemail of Raj Nation. I'm not here right now, but leave me a detailed message and I will get back to you as soon as I can. Namaste fresh. Raj Nation out. Look, look, only on some real shit. It's been a long time since you had a real chick. And since then your whole life has been reeling. Something's fishy. You need to be reeled in, sealed in. The center of a hot debate. Postulate and contemplate. Shout, not today. Nah, nah not today. Gotta stay on your grind. At least that's what you say in your mind Tell yourself to hustle and fulfill your diploma It's different now, all your friends shopping Williams-Sonoma Look around, they were willing to grow up And then, then. Yankee Candle Aroma You're a loner, in your zone, still single And you're looking for a home run Your own version of atonement Caught up, searching for your moment There's something inside you
to you.